Hello guys and welcome to Stripping the Dipping. You're joined by usual boy, AMG Dense, aka Hot Sauce, Mr. Hot Sauce. I'm back with the energy. I'm back and I'm better and I'm back and I'm not porpoising just like the W13. What a sensational week by Mercedes with these upgrades they bought. Car look like, you know, the pick of the bunch. She's just doing a little business on the track. Little dive, little defensive work from George Russell here. Little minus, minor setback, major comeback from Lewis through the pack, you know, securing top five for the team. And it was a marvelous, absolute masterclass, masterclass of a performance there. And of course, I've got the boss lady in the house, the one and only, she's like, you know, Manisha Cattleborn, reborn almost. I have the founder, the big boss lady, I've got Georgina Donna. How are you feeling today, Georgina? Hi, y'all. <laughs> I was like, wondering after listening to your intro, how the hell am I supposed to cook that? Yeah, I know. How are you going to respond to that? I know, right? Just like big ball of energy. I'm like, okay, should I just say hi, y'all? What am I supposed to say? Come on, man. You're putting it would me have on just funny If you're just like, hi like really awkwardly <laughs> yeah, I'll try I'll, I'll try hi guys how are you <laughs> oh my oh. god that's so not me <laughs> like most generic youtubers which we're not <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we are like uh, we, we always go with a bang like hey y'all hi y'all and then um, we see hey hi and i'm like oh my gosh i need to be more feminine <laughs> Georgina, <laughs> you know you just need to do your own thing because we love you the way you are <laughs> All right, so I'm back again. Um, I'm with the race review receipt. Actually, I stole these uh, notes from Denzel himself. So, <laughs> but for a change, I'm going to question Dennis today. Yay! Yeah, boy. Yeah, so I will be asking questions from Denzel regarding race reviews, but however, here is the twist. We will be having Dr. Orbs back again, you know, the Red Bull fan, aka uh, the doctor with an engineering, you know, we need to give him 100% or 1000% credit because the way he explains things in a simple manner, you really want to listen to him, right? Oh, honestly, I can listen to that guy speak all day. He's the real doctor. Forget Dr. Valentino Rossi. They need to put Dr. Orbs there instead. He's the goal. Yeah. <laughs> So he will be uh, joining us soon to explain the Red Bull tactics and, uh, you know, the Checo issue. Because <laughs> I saw him tweeting regarding some telemetry details as well. Um, so that will be interesting. So let me get to the work. I'm stammering because I'm in front of this celebrity guy, you know, my host. <laughs> I <laughs> so, wish. It's a normal guy from North London, you know. Yeah, he keeps saying that. He keeps saying that. I'm going to actually, you know what? I will throw you into a tub of ice cream. Well, I have to build one bigger than yet. But still, yeah. At least I can splash some ice cream onto your face if you're going to keep on saying that. Oh, I'm just not just this normal guy from London. <laughs> What? That sounds like my ultimate Nirvana. I have to tease. Yeah, like, I was thinking, what the hell am I saying? He will love it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. So, well, actually, to be honest, uh, during this race, there were so many elephants to address. But we'll start with the first one. Lewis versus K-Mag. What's your take? Man, that was a weird one, Georgina, because... 
Firstly of all, all of this, by the way, is actually created by science because science gets a bit of anti-store as he pulls off the grid, which puts him on the back foot, meaning Russell and Perez already streaks ahead of him. So now he goes ultra defensive to cover Lewis, which was down his inside going into turn three. And that Ferrari just had the legs on Lewis. So he's ahead of Lewis. Lewis looks like he's going to pull to the right-hand side of the track, you know, the inside to try and do the dummy to scare science, but almost doesn't work. So he filters in behind science in the turbulent air, bear in mind as well, tires not fully up to temperature, bear in mind as well, full fuel at this stage of the race as well. And then an optimistic Danish Viking tries to move around the outside and they met somewhere in the middle. For me personally, I think it was a racing incident. I think it was clear when you look at the onboard that Lewis does get a bit of understeer. But bear in mind, like having understeer in a car is not a criminal offence, at least not by the FIA at the moment. But that's subject to change as always with the FIA. But at the same time as well, Kevin, you know, he's in a less, um, you know, he's in, in an inferior car. He's trying to obviously capitalise on places where he can stick his nose in. But it was weird to me because Lewis was on the inside of that corner and Magnussen wasn't fully alongside. And Magnussen still turned into the corner, fully seeing that Lewis was there. Perhaps he didn't anticipate that Lewis was going to get that like mid-corner understeer. You know, one, having a much more tight trajectory to the corner. Secondly, of all, being on cold tyres. Thirdly, of all, being on heavy fuel. And fourthly, of all, even though the new regulations seem to have taken some of that out, the turbulent air then coming off of science as well. So, yeah, but I could understand where the fury came from for the fans because you know Magnuson in his kind of typical Magnuson fashion um you know with like not taking really much accountability even after the event and his uh, social media team quick to say that he was shunted off the circuit which I don't know if the 4k footage depicts it that way my guy <laughs> but uh yeah there was that and then yeah Lewis even when all seemed lost even in his very disheartened voice which it was so heartbreaking to hear when he's like, guys, I don't know, man. I think we should we should box this car, man. I don't I don't know if this engine, we should save this engine. And then Bono, actually for a change, was like, nah, Lewis, you can do this. You're the GOAT. Go and show them who's the boss, you know? And we think that you can still get points. And bear in mind at that stage, like, yes, he was 50 seconds off the, the race leader at that stage, being Charles Leclerc, which we'll get onto at a later stage. But even then, you know, the Mercedes had done their calculations. They had ran their numbers and they could see with the, the new upgrades and obviously with the race pace that Lewis had done in the earlier practice sessions, they'd be able to get points. And my God, he took it personally because he was setting purple sectors left, right and center. He thought he was Prince. He was like, purple laps, purple laps. And when you see me coming through... And I'm not going to sing the rest because I've got the lyrics. But anyway, that was the remix that you heard exclusively on the show. That's my uh, my next single after um, the Max Verstappen pack song and uh, Raffaello Marcello song too. It's the third song for the album that I'm working on currently. Got an exclusive here on Stripping the Dipping. But yeah, this Lewis had a mega comeback and drive of the day, well-deserved. 
um, the team look regalvanized by these upgrades, and it's good as well. I mean, um, I wish we had Bryson, and hopefully, um, I guess we haven't explained to the listeners. I've got a dip because I've got a very important meeting at work tomorrow, but we've got the sensational Dr. Ubbs that could probably give us more technical insight into what these new upgrades with the floor and obviously the P-Wing, to me and Bryson discussed it last week, had done, and maybe just the setup configuration of this W13. They've managed to run it low to the ground without the drastic kangaroo porpoising. Thank God, you know, we're not going to have to like get a, like um, a donor for um, like George Russell's back basically after so many bouncing in the W13. And um, oh, don't get me started on George Russell either. I want to put that on to you, George. You know, what did you make of the DRS Chronicles, the DRS gate whilst Max was absolutely losing his cool? Mr. Cool himself, <laughs> Mr. Mr. Saturday himself was like, you know what? Yeah, this this W13, it's like Beyonce. It's got quite a rare, a big rear end. And I'm just going to park it right in the middle of the circuit. Take that. What do you think of the defensive moves? And yeah, DRS gate. All right. First of all, this is the same W13 that we kept on calling the wheelbarrow. I know, right? <laughs> We're so yeah. disrespectful to her. <laughs> all right. And this is the same W13 that has unleashed only i think um 50 percent or less than that of her potential yeah she's right? glowing <laughs> exactly so there's more 50 percent to come and rod george russell was defending with that 50 percent of the w13 and max verstappen was on a red bull that was keep on getting the poles, the podiums, the winnings, and he couldn't pass Russell in the proper way for so many times. And Perez was the person, uh, as I can remember, he was the person who actually passed Russell, right? Mm. And then Max was uh, supposed to take the team orders and then Perez has to go back. That's a whole story that we will check <laughs> check with Dr. Ops. But yeah, so... That guy, that Russell, oh my God. I think we should actually appreciate George Russell for his talent because that was a masterpiece, a masterclass that he has done with that defense, with that car especially. I mean, it was a Red Bull. And we all know that the Red Bull car is very fast. It's very fast. And we know Max, Max Verstappen is a very aggressive driver. Well, you saw the result. <laughs> yeah, my guy. I think he might need some therapy, man. Jeez, he was getting all red and sweaty <laughs> behind that Red Bull. But you know what? I don't blame him because he himself had a bit of a, a very hot and gusty moment. Because this is the next thing I wanted to speak to you about, Georgina. Again, Sky F1 back at it again with their agendas. When science had that mysterious, like, um, you know, trip to the scene of the gravel at turn four. Oh, I was science going to actually ask improved. you about it, you know, the turn yeah. four. What's your take on that, you know, well, with Max and things? Yeah. 
Please, 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 please. Because, please, please. firstly, we could see that throughout this weekend, the conditions were quite treacherous. I mean, 49 degrees track conditions. You could melt eggs probably on that, man. That's ridiculous. So probably a good <laughs> thing that, you know, Pirelli brought the hardest compound tires to this race or else everything would have been melting, including Max Verstappen's potty mouth, you know. But then also, yeah, just um, the track is exposed in certain elements, so you get a lot of wind coming in they were saying it's a crosswind which could make the car very um you know sensitive to pitch and obviously sudden movements and we saw that because actually if those who are really eagle-eyed we had yuri vips um obviously the red bull test driver run a test session in fp1 i believe for red bull and then you know he jumped back into his dinger he jumped back into his f2 car and he had an exactly identical spin the day before so I was like, okay, maybe the drivers will probably take that on board. But damn, like, science fell for it. He just went through the corner, and then the Ferrari was like, you will not have the glipper. <laughs> and then he just, he just did Spinella into that corner. I was like, wow, he's not having a good time. And kind of where my agenda lies is Sky Sports be Sky Sporting, because they were like, oh, science, he needs to improve. Science, he needs to do better. Science has no excuses. Science has nowhere to run. But then Mr. Wembley Market Boots, Mr. Two Carat Gold Boots himself, made the same mistake into the same corner. And like, oh, it must be a crosswind. It must be a tailwind. The Red Bull must be a Boeing 747 with no wings. Like, maybe the Red Bull drinks is not giving it wings anymore because it had no aerodynamic stability going into that corner. He's just gone off. You know, so very interesting to see, I guess, like, you know, the, the change of a narrative that the Sky Sports, um, you know, commentators chose for science when he ha- had the mistake, and then they use a different narrative for, for Max, you know, very intriguing there, of course, but Sky Sports, as I said, Sky Sports be sporting, but um, yeah, I think that's a next kind of leading question, Georgina, what yeah. has happened to the smooth operator, and also, Georgina, I want ice cream from Color Science too, because that guy stole my living. I'm the original smooth <laughs> operator. I was the original bad boy on the scene. How you mean? <laughs> all right. First of all, um, we need to we need to we need to take this uh, this view from media. Mm-hmm. Um, they all have agendas. Um, they are anyway. They are running with their business agendas and their own propagandas and stuff. But um, as a viewer, it's 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 very uncomfortable. Um, because I think, uh, in I believe even the Red Bull as an energy company, um, they're not really um, vehicle manufacturers, right? But they're doing a dashing work. We need to appreciate the engineers and their work, obviously. And when it comes to their drivers, their drivers are also talented ones. Um, you know, their personalities can be crappy, of course, <laughs> but uh, when it comes to their talent, uh, they do have talented drivers. I mean, look at Sergio. He's really good, right? Mm-hmm. But with this media, the issue is when they come up with these narratives, what we get as people is a negative narrative into our mind, into our heads. So we always, always see only the bad things when it comes to Red Bull, uh, when it comes to drivers as well. 
this is just my opinion what i'm saying okay mm -hmm. uh <clears throat> sorry so when it comes to technical sides you know i mean i'm not going to clean up um honor at all because he is like the principle of that propaganda right mm -hmm. and then helmut marco wow well that's another story so there's no excuse for those but when it comes to drivers when it comes to pr especially max verstappen's pr is shit as hell so he every single time he fails but in a way um with the people that he hangs out yeah i can understand that definitely but when what i'm trying to say is when the f1 sky f1 the journalists when they give something some sort of a different um narrative for saints and then they try to wash it up when it comes to max verstappen that provides a very negative uh view for max verstappen that is very bad you know that's a very bad pr move so i don't know whether they like the guy or whether they hate the guy to be honest <laughs> at this moment because they keep on poking their own bear <laughs> it's um, so true it's yeah. so true, and Georgina, I'm glad we discussed it too, because, you know, to, to the neutral, it will come across as if we just talk about it mainly because at, at times, and I say at times, very liberally, majority of the times aimed at Lewis and, you know, like putting him down when they can afford to. But yeah. it also does apply to other drivers too. There's an inconsistency in how some drivers get like a pass week in, week out, <clears throat> Mick Schumacher, <clears throat> Latifi, <laughs> you know, and there's certain drivers, as soon as they sneeze... As soon as they sneeze, like they're, they're there with like the you know the corona has mass and all that ready to like poke my boy Yuki, ready to poke my boy Ocon, ready to poke you know Lewis and all those guys as well. So yeah, it's, it's very funny how the agendas be agendering these days. But you know, true justice shall prevail. And um, you know, like not to kind of go back in a circle with the Mercedes thing, but wow, like all the engineers there must have said w13 you can fly today girl you're gonna get your wings because i'm telling you that car was wicked i couldn't believe what i was seeing when i was just watching lewis just get purple after purple sectors it's gonna make me sing the purple lap song again but i'll refrain from singing it but yeah like the other double barreled kind of side of that i guess georgina if we are gonna do the sky sports agenda agendering is science Homegrown free, gets out qualified by four attempts, has stores it on the grid, or has an anti-store, you know, then beach it, well, almost beaches it, and then basically has no answer. You know, on a day as well where Leclerc had issues and he had to retire, where was he? He was missing. You know, it's just, is it too early to say that, you know, science's season might just be confined to displaying a support role to Leclerc? Or do you think if he gets this one, this one, this one result, he might be able to turn it around? Well, it's, it's Monaco. We are going to be Monaco. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's a nightmare for that guy. <laughs> I mean, it could be it could be worse. You you could be you know a certain monogast driver that gets to drive a legendary uh, driver's car and then you know wreck that you know priceless car into a, a casino barrier. But we we move. But yeah, yeah you, you know, know what? Um, I think Charles has improved a lot uh, from the way he's 
uh, driving uh, wheel to wheel, even with Max Verstappen, you know, the tactics that he's using. Um, so he, he has improved a lot. I mean, if he hasn't, then he won't be uh, winning polls um, one race after one just because he has a faster car. You know, <clears throat> some people do say that <clears throat> the faster car, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, oh, the faster car <clears throat> agenda, <clears throat> which yeah. only suits <clears throat> certain people when they get seven, <clears throat> eight time world champions yeah 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 so um but i think this time uh charles can actually do a better job a good job uh but um i this is just my predictions so i'm going for my predictions i don't think that charles will win the first place he won't be at paul but uh saints might be because you know um Yuki Sonoda, Sands, they are very underrated when it comes to their talents because uh, even Yuki is a really good driver. He always, always scores points, almost all the times. Uh, just like that, Sands is also not a bad driver. He's a really good driver. And we saw that when he finishes, uh, finished his uh, Spain-Barcelona race as well. So there's a possibility uh, that he can actually win the race. Um, but this time, <laughs> you know, we have those, um, <clears throat> the faster cars, <laughs> those boys are there <laughs> back again. So I'm actually thinking that the Merc boy up there with the podiums. With that W13, Lewis came from 19th to 5th and he was the fastest. And imagine if he was not struck by Magnuson. <laughs> struck by Magnuson. And that's the thing, you know, like, I don't want people to get lost in transition either. You know, Magnuson's still a cool dude. But yeah. I think I could understand why people were cross because ultimately, when you then look at things retrospectively, Lewis had the potential pace there to be on the top spot of the podium, you know, and that would have yeah. been such, such a fun, it, like, oh, I was almost going to cuss there, oh my god, me swearing on um, the stripping the dipping, oh my god, <laughs> the emotions, but yeah, just, um, you know, he was so, 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 so close, and he's not had the rub of the green, you know, he's been a bit, he's not even been a bit, he's been very unlucky this season with safety cars, or just, you know, strategy not really falling into his arms, and, you know, I think even him as well, it's not to say that he can't improve, everybody can improve and I think that as time goes by he will kind of grasp this car a bit more naturally in the same way George does because you know you look at George and I don't know if it's just because he's just such, such a refined individual but you never really see George looking like he's struggling or pushing too hard whereas yeah, with, he's, with he's, Lewis he's very calm isn't it exactly whereas with Lewis maybe it's wrong of me to say that I think Lewis is Ex obviously Lewis expect expectation comes from a different place he's won world championship should have won last year's world championship and you know yeah. he deserves a car that can challenge for this championship so I could understand where the expectation is probably a bit different where maybe you're going to be a bit more impatient or and to be fair with Lewis he hasn't said anything out of order with the team he's been super supportive and even when the team have made a howler you know, he's just kind of like put a blanket over them and said, you know, it's not over. They've achieved great things and we're together here as a team. So, you know, I think just from his side, the expectations are a bit higher because they haven't given him the car to really deliver that. And then also because they're in a bit of a more foreign place to what they've usually become accustomed to, they've had to really dig deep, you know. And that's, you know... You know what? You know what? Um, I think... 
uh, when you were talking, you when you were explaining, I just got this idea. Uh, even though I said that George looks very calm, there's a reason behind it. Uh, between Louise and George, George got lucky every single time during all these races, and he didn't have to push to come in front and get a podium. He was sure. there. He was fighting for a place, but it was not intense, just like Louis. But when it comes to Louis, he had such bad luck, man. DRS trains, you know, getting hit by Magnuson and whatnot with those heavy sensors, running data and stuff, all that. So he always... He was always in a position where he needed to fight. He needed to push. It was an intense drive that he had during all these races, all these six races. But when it comes to George, he was at the right time <laughs> with the right place. <laughs> Does you know, that make again, sense? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's not us discrediting either of them. That could be a positive. No, 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 no. Because they're both talented. doing an exceptional job, you know. George yeah. in what his like what fifth sixth professional race now as a Mercedes AMG driver he's doing everything he's expected to and more and obviously Lewis yeah he's just been a bit unlucky and on top of that as well you got to bear in mind that this is different to what he's used to imagine you know that you've worked hard and that you've built an empire and then you know the the, the, there's a there's a government <clears throat> the FIA and then you know they they make complete <laughs> drastic changes to the way that you know your empire is you have to relearn from scratch so it, it's almost like an educational thing for Lewis and it's not to say that he doesn't know what he's doing or that this is like something new to him but you know this is what makes him such a multifaceted and such a memorable driver because you could win a championship there's many drivers that have won championships over the years and they just become part, part of folklore but lewis is a legacy he's a dynasty and it comes from being able to win in many different configurations of formula one many different eras of formula one different formulas of formula one different rules of formula one different regulations of formula one different teams in formula one you know, big cars, you know, small cars, groove tires, slick tires, hybrid <laughs> engine, normal engine. <laughs> that guy could win on a bobsled, I tell you. You know what? He's temperated chocolate. <laughs> Honestly, he really is. He really is. Yeah. Like, like a, that guy, when he was setting purple laps with a broken W13, it's broken. The diffuser mash up. You know, the front wing and suspension twist up and you're still setting purple laps with that damaged car. Georgina, this guy is Jesus, you know. He could turn water <laughs> to wine. I saw that tweet. <laughs> Honestly, though, he could. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. Oh, my gosh, talking about wine and water. <laughs> we will, should, we, should we address that? There was a leak, but it was not fuel, but it was from Mercedes. Um, yeah, you know, which... it was water. Oh. What's your take on that? Well, Georgina, this is the thing. And it's funny because, you know, I did my stream, as, as you know, on my YouTube channel. And I turned off the stream. I was still listening to the Sky coverage. And Ted Kravitz, shout out to Ted, he was in the backstage paddock kind of interviewing just some fans and um, some, like, like ex-engineers and stuff. And he asked, like, a guy, God I forbid, I don't know what the guy's name is, but he said, what is it with, with with Mercedes? And he said, Mercedes is like a Swiss watch. 
it never breaks. Oh, I was like, no, don't jinx it now. Don't jinx it. But yeah, it just um, it, I don't think it should come as a surprise that maybe they ran into reliability issues because both drivers were told, even in the earlier phase of the race, that they had to manage their uh, temperatures. Russell had like um, a, a message on his dashboard telling him to cool the engine, you know, even though using clean air. So it tells you that maybe they weren't running with such a high um, configuration of um, cooling, which you, you know, know what is more drag. <clears throat> you just got the right guy to ask the question. <laughs> ah, well, what do you know? He's appeared like a wild Pikachu out of the blues. It's the legend. It's the goat, Dr. Ubbs. How are you feeling today, sir? Hello. Feeling good hey, today. Hey. How are you guys doing? Yeah, good, man. We were bigging you up earlier because, um, unfortunately for me, this is going to be a short one. So I've got a dip probably within the next 25 to 30 minutes. Very precise, I know. But um, yeah, there's lots of technical things. Being Barcelona, the, the haven of technical um, innovation and, and obviously trial and error. And yeah, we're just talking about Mercedes reliability issues towards the end. You know, I know that there's um, the DRS Chronicles, which are, you know, I'm, I'm going <laughs> to leave to Jaina to, to kind of question you on as well. And yeah, obviously other things off the circuit too. We've got round two of, um, you know, uh, basically Aston Martin trying to copy the recipe for the for the dessert, but they haven't quite got the sauce with the, the green bowl, as it's now been called, the, the AMR 22. So uh, yeah, so many technical kind of bits where we could pluck this information um, from you, Dr. Ubbs. But firstly, Vuk, to kind of get you kind of warmed up with it, how was your take on the race and just everything that happened? Hello, Dr. Ubbs, are you there? Oh, I think he's got the DRS connection that maybe Max Verstappen has too. Can, can you hear me now? Oh, oh yeah, yeah you're back. You you're back. <laughs> okay, let me, let, me, let me change your, um... rooms. <laughs> I hope you didn't press your um your Wi-Fi button fifty times. <laughs> yeah, man, I, I hit the I hit the Wi-Fi button once and I opened it and then I hit it again and I closed it just like Max, right? So. Oh <laughs> man, what are you doing, man? <laughs> <laughs> no, the the race was great. I mean, for for me, it was like one of those races where it was really just kind of up and down. You didn't really know what to expect. I mean, the first. The first lap was intense. I mean, with K-Mag and Lewis coming together. And then it was like, oh, man, what's Lewis going to do? But then Lewis ended up having one of his patented. I mean, the dude needs to put, like, a patent on the charge from the back, right? I mean, he's just, like, he's he's got that cornered. So he, he ends up charging from the back and, you know, ending up, um, ending up you know, what, what was P5. he? P5, right? He ended up P5 because signs ended up passing him because he had the lifting coast there at the end. But um, yeah, it was a great race. Poor Charles Leclerc. Oh man, he was out sailing. He was. Oh man, we lost Dr. Orbs again with the Wi-Fi. I know, literally, as soon as he talked about Charles Leclerc's uh, turbo unit, I think he got yeah. some of the Ferrari I was gonna ask, judge uh, as well. Why did that happen? And uh, boom, he's gone. <laughs> he's <laughs> yep, exactly. connected, but we can't hear him. Yeah, can you hear now. me? Oh, yeah, now we can hear you. <laughs> that's, that's weird. I'm I'm dropping out like that. Okay, so yeah, so so Charles Leclerc, yeah, I ended up having the issue with the with the turbo, it looks like. Uh, the MGUH, and then his turbo ended up failing on him, so 
For sure. Why do you think that they haven't figured it out yet? (sighs) I couldn't tell you, honestly. That was a big price. Because I was going to say, Dr. Ubbs, as well, didn't Ferrari run a new specification of engine, particularly on, I believe it was Guan Yuzhou or Zhou Guan Yu? I always get mixed up. And please, I apologize as well, because I do need to get it right. But um, I believe they did run it on his car and also Charles's car, whereas Science had an older spec of engine and then so did Valtteri. So maybe this new um this new engine specification that they've got the upgraded engine it's maybe not doing what it should be doing right dr Ops? and i think his turbo failed as well because he's <laughs> out again he's wow you know it must be something with the rebel fans man it must be something with the rebel fans. <laughs> let me let me try to let me try to reconnect can you hear me yeah, yeah we, can. We, can, we can hear you now Okay, okay. How, about I, how about I reconnect? Let me reconnect. Okay. Sure, we'll put you on the freestyle strategy like Max. Okay. <laughs> well, this is going to be a very funny episode. <laughs> oh, this is many technical issues as they were in the Grand Prix. You love to see it. <laughs> but no, to talk on the Ferrari thing, though, it's interesting because I do remember Sky Sports. If I'm wrong, it's Sky. It's not me. It's Sky. They <laughs> um, did say that Charles was running a new specification of engine, and so was Zhou Guan Yu. So, yeah, like um, I don't know if that was maybe the right move by Ferrari because clearly they do need to try and upkeep the battle with Red Bull in terms of the top speed department. And really and truly, just like Doctor Obs alluded to there, like Charles was in his own postcode. You know, he's probably thinking about like how he's not going to crash at Monaco this week coming up whilst he was still doing the Barcelona Grand Prix. And then the turbo, and I think that's how you knew it was a turbo because it made that quite weird kind of kind of like chirpy noises that turbos usually make when they're fluttering or on their last legs. So, um, yeah. And it'll be interesting to see what was the cause of it. Was it something to do with maybe the hybrid system, as Dr. Obbs had mentioned there with the MGH or MGUK? Was it maybe the hot conditions? Because again, I mean, track temperature alone, so this the tarmac was 49 degrees, which is crazy, you know? And then, yeah, teams obviously don't want to run a lot of drag because it's all good having a powerful engine, but then if you have loads of cooling and exposed panels, you induce drag, which reduces your top speed, you know? So, yeah. It's yeah, you know what? I, I wanted to ask about it. Because the track uh, the track temperature was forty nine degrees, and um, George's car had overheating warnings, right? And then um, at the end of the race, uh, Mercedes gave uh, the drivers uh, regarding this um, possible DLF, so not to push it hard. Oh, we have the we have the celebrity back, <laughs> and he's back on the PC this time. I'm so sorry. I'm on, I'm on the PC now, so I'm off my phone. You know, the Apple products weren't working out for me, so I've switched back to the old trusty PC. He's upgraded to Oracle. <laughs> oh, man, I've got the Mercedes PU on now instead of the Red Bull PU, so we should be okay. Hey, man, it's the best right. flavor right now. <laughs> okay, my first question goes to, you know what, we kept on talking about temperature, so I'm going to shoot with this question. We had the track temperature over 49 degrees, and then George, uh, with his Mercedes, he had over overheating issues, overheating warnings, and then at the end of the race, 
the Mercedes, uh, <clears throat> sorry, the Mercedes advised uh, the drivers regarding a, D, a double DNF, so not to push it hard. And then they they really revealed that it was regarding water leak. Um, are all these connected? I mean, it's possible. I mean, you know, you've got water running, cooling water running through the engine which basically helps to keep the whole PU, the block, everything cool, right? Well, that water, though, needs to go through an engine cooling radiator. And those engine cooling radiators are on the side of the car. And that's how you transfer the heat out that you extract from the engine block itself. So as you know, the W13 has that really uh, innovative side pod design where they've got minimal sh uh, side pod and very small sort of air intakes which are almost triangular and they've got this really innovative method for cooling the engines as well i, I don't know enough about how they're cooling it uh to to be able to speak intelligently on it but to say that those two things definitely could be related because eventually that water that's cooling the engine must come through the radiators to the side of the car to actually get cooled from the incoming air that's passing through the air inlets. So for sure, they could be connected, definitely. And one of the things that I was wondering when they first came out with the design was how effective it would be. I think one thing we saw was we saw that they added those little wings on the side of the monocoque, right? You've got those three little canard wings, which are sort of pulling air down into the intake itself. And they've done a couple of innovations on them. They actually moved them a little lower now and added a third one. And so uh, for me, that was just the engineers trying to find the best way to get the most mass air through that air intake because it is so unique. It's, it's so innovative. They must be kind of tweaking with it, yeah. I mean, All it right. definitely makes sense, and kind of, I wanted to jump in straight in there. Sorry, George, you know. No, no, you can go ahead. <laughs> you, know, you know, anytime I see any Red Bull drama on the timeline, I just have to get onto it, like, so, <laughs> yeah, Dr. Ops is going to get that grilling, but no, of course, respectfully, like, Dr. Ops, like, man, what happened with the DRS, man? Like, Red Bull and the wings, like, the, clearly the energy drinks is not giving them any wings, and Red Bull have more wings than a Dixie Chickens or a KFC on a Happy Friday, man. Like, every practice session or every race, there's something going on with this DRS flap. And what's really got me confused, Dr. Ops, is, like, it seems that this is an issue that's actually, like, it's outlasted two generations of cars. Because I'm sure you remember, and you'll be remiss as well, like, we had, like, the DRS failures and replacements in, in Mexico. I think they did some last-minute DIY to Max's rear wing. There were concerns of a crack as well, I think, in Spa with uh, Sergio Perez. Then also, I think, even in Abu Dhabi, just in one of the practice sessions, they were messing around with the wings. And it just seems like the actuator or, or something that actuates the DRS, it just seems to malfunction. Um, on Sky coverage, they're asking Christian Horner, and he potentially he didn't want to reveal what the secret really was to it, but he essentially mentioned that um, it's something to do with them just trying to like be very kind of weight efficient, just kind of with that area of the wing and trying to reduce mass and so forth. But yeah, is there, is there like a tech, technical explanation for? What was happening just with this failure and why Max had to spam his button 50 times? 
It's it's hard to really kind of put my finger on it because there's a couple of things that happened. One of the things was, uh, you know, his his uh, race engineer was telling him was saying, "Look, Max, don't push the DRS button when you're on the curbs." And so, what's going on when you're on the curbs? You're getting a massive amount of vibration. You're getting a massive amount of kind of load that's going through the whole car as you're running over the curbs. You're getting basically like a uh, vibration and shock load that's kind of going through it. And if you've got any sort of, say, like a misalignment, and what I'm thinking is that possibly, you know, if your rear wing is kind of flexing a little bit, I mean, we've seen as uh, just, if you remember from the feed, you could, they did all the slow motions when the cars were going over the curbs and they were showing the front wings, right? And you could see how much they were flexing and moving. It was crazy the amount of loads that are going through it those same loads are going through the rear wing too. And the rear wing itself is also trying to flex and also trying to move. And that's one of the reasons why you've got that big, um, that pylon, I call it, that's kind of connecting the middle portion of the wing to sort of the end pieces of the wing. So it's possible that as you're going over the curbs, possibly you could get like a little bit of flex and some movement. And now that actuator, which is supposed to be linear, which means it's pulling in a straight line is now maybe pulling a little bit of an, at an angle because it's kind of flexing side to side. That's the only thing I could think of when his race engineer is telling him, look, Max, don't push the button when you're on the curbs, when you get off the curbs, hit the button. And then it seemed like when he got off the curbs and he hit it, it worked. So that's one possible explanation. The other one is this is the first time that Red Bull was running their high downforce rear wing. And the wing designs are completely different this year than they were in previous years. So let's just ignore the fact that Red Bull seems to have a history of being able to design a very uh, aerodynamic car, but a not so reliable one. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I think there are aspects of reliability to it. You know, I, I can't remember if we talked about it the last time we were on, but when you're in a bit of a rush to design a car and they, they were had their backs against the wall a bit as they were designing it was one of the things that you're not going to be able to do. You're not going to be able to do reliability testing. And definitely when you roll out a brand new wing, like a high downforce rear wing, where you're going to have massive amounts of aero load on that top flap, because it's got such a big camber angle. So it's angled up so much. It's going to take a massive amount of load. And now your actuator needs to be able to pull against that load. And if you haven't designed it properly, or you haven't, yeah, sorted out all the right forces that you need to be able to pull against that arrow load, you could have problems. Definitely. And I agree with both the former and latter because obviously you mentioned this, the sheer amount of oscillations that go through these cars, obviously when they're on the curbs and obviously when they're going through such high loads in the corners as well. And also, like you mentioned, obviously a completely new configuration of rear wing, just generally speaking, and obviously specifically for this more high downforce configuration of track two. And it was strange because in some instances, it wasn't even that the DRS wasn't opening. It opened and then immediately shut back down, which I guess yeah. kind of like falls back into the the, the former or the, the latter kind of um, point that you made there is just like maybe the actuator not being strong enough or reinforced enough to kind of handle that amount of pressure or load. Now, the controversial side of me, Dr. Oz, because you know I like a little bit of sauce. You know I like a, yeah, a little let's bit spice of spice. Yeah, let's spice it up. Put some hot um, sauce on this. Like, um, when, and again, like, I'll be, I have to be rational. It's not exactly the same thing, like, for, like, and 
in Formula One, it's very rare actually for two things to be completely identical. But let's say, for example, Mercedes had their kind of interesting wing, shall we say, that breached the technical in um, you know, uh, what do you call it, like a, a technical regulation, or it was a, a like a infringement of the technical rules um, or a violation of such around Brazil in 2021, which obviously earned Lewis that uh, disqualification from the sprint quality. The stewards on that occasion, obviously in Park Fermi, looked at that and immediately they were very interested in that rear wing and just, you know, I think it came off of the the wings and ting saga that Christian Horn had started that entire season, of course, with the flexi wing. But is it of any surprise to you maybe that the FIA haven't taken any interest maybe in Red Bull situation with this wing? Because I understand from a point of view of it's not really gaining them any performance when a, a rear wing should be opening and it's not. So technically, it's not helping the team. But it's even from a safety concern, you know, you dread to think what could happen if the opposite happened and Max opened the DRS and then it refused to like close. and. I forget the name of the drivers, but I think in the very earlier days of DRS, we'd seen some failures where the letterbox become completely jammed open. And obviously, when you've got that rear wing open, just that amount of downforce pushing the car on the ground, like as it's supposed to, isn't there. So let's say, for example, the driver didn't realize that DRS was closed, because usually it closes when you jump on the brake or you can deactivate it manually with the button. But let's say if it's completely failed, that could create the mother of all incident so this mark this is my question to you really on that one doctor are you surprised that the fa haven't really taken an interest in this reoccurring issue that red bull are kind of experiencing and maybe do you feel that they could also learn something not necessarily that they're going to take the information and spread it with other teams but just to kind of get insight as to what red bull are doing that the other let's say nine teams on the grid aren't doing you know with this reoccurring issue I mean, it's it's a hard one because I would say, certainly from a safety standpoint, if the FIA feels like there is a safety concern or a safety issue with it, then yes, absolutely, they need to jump in and, and inquire and find out what's going on. Um, I haven't heard, um, you know, I mean, the basis of your question is that we haven't heard anything about that, right? So um, I, I haven't heard that they've, they've you know, maybe started uh, scrutinizing what's happening and, and questioning Red Bull on, you know, what they're doing that's maybe causing their DRS to fail. Um, it, it seems to be a rather straightforward design, and I'm quite miffed at how we're not able to actually solve this problem over successive seasons but um, i know if you actually look at the post-race uh, fia documents on the scrutineering you see the amount of tests that the fia is doing on the cars after the races i mean it is intense like they're testing everything like you know how much is the front wing flap moving in comparison to the regulations and the floor edges and all kinds of, they're really looking for like movable aero devices so definitely in this case the fact that you don't have uh the aero device operating as it should be is is harming you so probably there's a little less maybe outcry from people to say look into it um but from a safety standpoint um if they felt like it was really a safety concern i mean they would definitely jump on it just by looking at the amount of race scrutinizing they're doing they are being quite thorough um 
but I'm not sure if Red Bull has shown quite yet that the reason for it had anything to do with, say, a fundamental design flaw they have, or more so like you just asked in the previous question, which was due to some sort of weight savings they tried to do where they they must have compromised the um, uh, the the durability of the DRS design itself, whether it's how much the rear wing itself is able to withstand some of the loads, because let's say they lighten the whole structure maybe, right? So now it's a bit thinner, so it carries more of the vibration loads through the structure. Um, it could have been, uh, you know, a couple of different things, but... I'm just, I don't see it now. I don't, I don't see that the FIA maybe needs to step in and really sort it out unless they truly feel like there's some sort of a safety concern. They just need to let Red Bull figure it out because, frankly, uh, if they can't make a functioning DRS actuator, then I don't have a whole lot of hopes for the rest of the season. <laughs> oh, I think Max would have agreed with you on the radio on that one too, man, because he was heated, you know, and obviously we, we give banter, we give flack, but on the human element, I could understand, you know, because he's just trying to do his job. He's already been plagued by DNF issues of his own, you know, and that's the thing. He's completely changed. I feel that he's changed his way of driving or his, the way he goes about racing. And I I think it's a mixture of two things. I wanted just to get your thoughts on this too, whether it's the fact that the, obviously Red Bull have gone for a bit more, generally speaking, like a lower downforce, lower drag kind of concept in comparison to Ferrari. So rather than having, you know, to be a bit more cheeky on the brakes and like forcing people off the circuit and finding maybe the more gray areas of the, the rule book, Max is able to do it with a bit more simplicity on, on the streets, just where he has that straight line speed advantage. But also, like we, we like to remind people too, he's had to kind of tone it down a bit because of the incident points. And on top of that, he's already had, you know, two DNFs. So every kind of race, I guess, is a crucial one. And Perhaps he's actually learned from last year that, you know, if he actually tries to finish some of the races rather than just going for broke each time, he could win a championship more kind of like, like efficiently than necessarily, you know, like taking these hot moments or making moves he doesn't need to move or like doing things he doesn't need to do. Like, what's your take on that? Yeah, I think he's definitely has matured. I mean, Max is Max is emotional. You know, he's. Um, I mean, you could see it from the race. You know, when his TRS actually, it was kind of comedic too. I mean, it was sadly comedic as well because the guy's like, he said he was punching the DRS button like fifty times when they asked him why did you open it and then close it. He's like, mate, because I had to push it like fifty times. But <laughs> I mean, he's he's an emotional he's an emotional driver, you know. And I think what we saw probably at the end of last season was that just the intensity. And, and the pressure, you know, really got to him and he was pressing every single race. Um, I think it's probably calmed down a bit this season. I mean, he seems to be a bit more mature and a bit more level-headed, as you said. He's not really going full send into the corners like he used to. Um, I have to say, I think the, the great um, illustration of that was probably the the back and forth that him and George had. Um you know, I mean, when when Max got you know George out of the straight, and then and then George came back at him, and then they were both. What turn was that? Was that turn three? I think maybe it was turn turn four. We've got that kind of sweeping right hander, that's high speed, and they're both like side by side in that you know in that fast corner. And 
I mean, they were being they were being respectful. They were giving each other enough room, and um, I know the Red Bull pit wall ended up saying George pushed him outside a little bit, and George was probably you know giving him the business a little bit, but but they were respectful of each other. I mean, and I think you you've seen that a little bit as well in sort of how Max has been racing with Charles as well in some of the battles that they've been having. I'd like to think he's matured. Um, maybe the pressure of of you know winning last year and and getting that sort of monkey off his back um somewhat i don't know maybe that took some of the pressure off of him but um, he does seem to be driving more maturely but i think we did see a little bit of the old max come out when his drs wasn't working and he was just pressing i mean you could tell he was getting really frustrated a bit with not being able to pass george when you know he he felt like he had the pace to do it and he just couldn't get it done. I mean, he had to pit. Right. And then I think Sergio then ended up having a go at George, but um, yeah, it was, I'd like to think he's matured. I hope so at least. Okay. You touched on a few things there. Cause I wanted to, to actually hand over to Georgina cause you mentioned tension there, um, Dr. Obbs, and, you know, I, I know there's a Mexican armada, probably El Chapo's in there too, so I'm going to quickly <laughs> run for the hills, but the tag team Georgina, because I know she's going to ask you the, the telling question between the internal battle of the two drivers at Red Bull. So Georgina, that was I'll, the question I was going to ask, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll let you officially ask it. <laughs> yeah, so, well, you know what? Let's let's just jump into it. What's the deal with Checo? <laughs> Checo, you know, the, I I truly feel like this is one of the first times in a long time that Red Bull has a dilemma on their hands because, I mean, if you look at Pierre Gasly or Alex Albon, or, or I mean, I guess even when Max was kind of the young pup and you had Daniel Ricciardo there. You know, Max has always sort of been the young up-and-comer of the future. You know, the the one that they think like, this is the guy that's going to win us a title. And then, yeah, naturally, you know, he ended up winning them a championship. And and so, you know, is there a pecking order at Red Bull? Yeah, there's a pecking order at Red Bull. I mean, I th- I don't think you can deny that. You know, I mean, the guy that just won the team a championship is going to get the benefit of the strategy. He's going to get the benefit of you know, the the pace advantage, if there is one with some of the upgrades. I mean, let's not even, we haven't even broached the topic of the fact that Max got apparently the weight upgrade and Checo didn't for the race, right? Even though they say this is maybe one of the reasons why Max had the DRS issues, but that just goes to show you right there, right? That, I mean, Max is getting all the, all the things before Checo, but Red Bull has a problem on their hands because Checo is a legit number two and i mean when i say number two he's like a number one and a half i mean he's (laughs) he's he's really really good and checo has proven that i mean checo you know he outqualied max i mean you know barcelona was a bit up and down for checo because we saw through free practice and through quality i mean he struggled a bit checo struggled a bit but during the race, Checo was Checo was live. He had really good, strong pace, and I think the only time that for me I was a bit sort of you know the tension inside me was kind of building up because I am a, I'm a Red Bull fan. Like I'm not a Max over Checo. I'm just a Red Bull fan, and 
I like both drivers, but I really kind of have a soft spot for Checo because I want him to do do well. He just seems like such a nice guy too, you know. <laughs> and um, and so I, I thought hey, Checo has a chance to win this race, you know, like this is legit. He's gonna be, you know, he's gonna be on it. And Checo was on fresher tires and he was behind Max and Max's DRS was malfunctioning. And Checo was like, let me through, let me through. So that was the one time where I was thinking, okay, now what's going to happen? They let Max have a couple goes at George, right? He couldn't get past him. Then what happened? Max ended up pitting and then Checo had a go at George and ended up passing him. But uh, that was the one time that I thought, okay, Red Bull maybe could have handled that particular situation better than they did but that last pass there at the end I'm trying to remember which lap it was it was maybe 46 or something like that when I think it was 47 but I'm not quite sure yeah so it was right there and yeah 47 that's right you're right Georgina 47 so then on lap 47 I went through and I looked at the telemetry and I looked at the telemetry from earlier as well right when um when when Checo was behind Max and was asking to come through. And before Checo got too close to Max, Checo had about 0.7, about seven tenths on Max. He was on fresher tires. He was about seven tenths faster per lap. Now, Max was getting held up by George a bit, right, and didn't have a functioning DRS. But at that time, Checo wasn't even, even in DRS range for Max either. So he had a pace advantage. And they, they gave, again, Max the benefit, right? He's the, you know, he's the uh, the reigning champion. So they'd said, okay, they gave him his go, let him have a couple shots at George, and then they pitted him after that and then let let Checo go through. But in the alternative, in, in lap 47, Max was coming on fresher tires. Checo was trying to go for the two-stop strategy, which by then I think they knew was a trash strategy and it wasn't going to make, it wasn't going to work. And Max had one and a half seconds per lap on Checo. So Max was way faster. And I, so I totally understand when they asked him. And, and that's hard for me to say as somebody that's really pulling for Checo to do well. But I totally get it. And I don't really understand where all the drama is coming from. But I have to say that when you go through and you look at the telemetry, and I think afterwards when Checo talked to the race engineers and probably saw the telemetry and you saw the post-race interviews, he was a lot more calm and sort of muted about it, but it's important. Checo has his voice heard, you know, and he's able to talk to the team and voice his frustrations because they need to keep that pairing together. But Checo's a strong, strong driver and, and Red Bull, I think for the first time in a while could have a pretty spicy situation on their hands. I definitely yeah, agree. Yeah, wanted to jump in there too just to echo some of those points as well doctor it was great kind of um kind of feedback on that too because yeah i sat there watching it and i was like my heart sunk for Perez because like you mentioned he's such a nice guy he's so likable and i think actually maybe more commercial we'll get into that debate maybe another day but just he has that kind of likability factor you know because he's not as controversial with the way he does his driving and you know he he has his own specific approach like he's never been like a qualifier but then on race day he's always one of the greatest drivers when it comes to being quite versatile with strategy so 
it was a bit kind of like, yeah, if the shoe was on the other foot and Perez is the one with the DRS issues and then Max is the one behind on the alternative strategy, it'd be a no-brainer. They'd just invert the cars immediately. But then, like you mentioned, I guess, Red Bull obviously have to take into account that Max is their de facto kind of number one driver, their reigning champion, number one. And secondly of all as well, as you mentioned, with the way the strategy went in the latter stage of the race, there was no doubt that, um, you know, in clean air, Max was the more faster driver so obviously that preferential treatment if people want to put it that way paid off the way it was always going to probably pay off when you look at it on paper but yeah i mean i can understand it from paris's point of view as well he just wants to fight he just wants to race he doesn't want to just be consigned to this being a second driver like <clears throat> a certain ferrari driver <clears throat> that's not the school <laughs> career anymore um taking my badge back thank you very much might be consigned to and this generally speaking as well, that, yeah, it's just like people, I guess, from one fan base will say, look at the way they're treating Sergio. But if I had to take off my Mercedes cap and look at it from a neutral perspective, people could make the same argument for Bottas and the way he was treated at Mercedes when, you know, I think the difference is that Mercedes did it later on in the season when it was clear that Lewis was going to be the championship contender and all resources in that sense needed to be more kind of like, you know, factored towards him. Whereas I guess we're only in the sixth race of the season and already Red Bull are making these calls. But, you know, you've got to be in it to win it. And I think what it also comes down to is qualifying. If Perez can just get closer in qualifying too and put himself ahead of Max in qualifying, then it also puts Rebel more to the scratch their head and actually think, well, you know, if he's qualified ahead of Max and he's got more better understanding of the car, then it's harder to kind of plot against him without tripping on your own feet. Because at the end of the day, yes, they, they want to win the, the drivers, but they need to win the constructors too. Yeah, I mean, it's not... It... When you have two strong drivers, what does that benefit you strategically as a team? It benefits you in that you can run two different race strategies and you can then, you know, extract the best strategy in real time, right? And, and you know, I mean, if you look at uh, what teams do with their tire strategies during the race, right? That That's happened now twice for Mercedes as well as where George and Lewis have been on different tire strategies, right. To start the race. And that's, that's what you do when you have two strong drivers, you give yourself the best chance to win a race. And if you're not hundred percent certain on what the best strategy is, you split the strategy. And that's what Red Bull did with Checo and, and Max, especially after Max ended up, you know, catching that tailwind in, in what was it? Turn nine or something like that. And, or maybe it was lap nine and, and spun out. Right. And then, you know, his, his tires are trash after that. So he can pretty much go for a few more laps before he needs to change the tires, but that automatically then put max immediately on a three-stop strategy. And if you're going to do a two-stop strategy with anybody and something that Checo said, even after the race was, he said before the race, they had talked about him potentially going on a two-stop strategy anyway, if it's going to be anybody, it's going to be the tire whisperer, Checo Perez, right? So that's exactly what they were doing. But the problem was later on in the race, you don't know if your strategy is going to work until you start seeing the way the tires are behaving, you know, what's going on with the performance over time as the, as the race goes on. It became blatantly obvious that the two-strap strategy was not going to work. And Botas, unfortunately, was like, 
you know, I mean, the poor recipient of that as well, right? I mean, it was like he was like just getting past like he was standing still at the end of the race. But, um, you know, and, and unfortunately, that's where Checo got caught out um, is that he was on the bad strategy, but they didn't know it was the bad strategy until it was too late. And by then, Max was on the right strategy. And, you know, frankly, if they would have just let Checo keep going, you know, and try to finish on those mediums, I really think he would have been at threat of getting passed by George and Lewis both because he was losing. I looked, I looked at the very end right there when he was on those last few laps before he changed from his mediums to the softs and he was losing about two tenths to three tenths per lap. So they were degrading pretty fast. I don't think there's any way he could have gone like another, but it was 16 laps or something left that he would have had to have done. I mean, he would have been a turtle like Botas was. So, um, yeah, I, I think, poor, I mean, he, he ended up just getting caught out on the strategy, if anything, really. All righty. So I'm going to ask you the last question for today's episode, because, you know, uh, we brought Dr. Orbs in a very emergency last minute um, tweet. I just asked him, uh, would you be uh, kind enough to join us today? Because uh, I want to touch regarding these Red Bull issues. Um, I'm always and... up to chat, Georgina. So you just <laughs> just holler at me, you know, whenever. As long as I'm not putting my kids to bed, I'll, I'll hop on here. We'll 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 chat it up. <laughs> so <laughs> the question that I want to ask regarding Red Bull is the copycat version, the Green Bull. Yeah. Is it really true that Aston Martin really did copy Red Bull, or is it just that they look the same but it's totally different? Because, Georgina, I just want to step in here as well because yeah. I'm going to be the, the legal defense for Aston Martin. Yeah. Lauren Stroll has <laughs> dropped a nice fat bag at my house with some racks in it. I could probably Definitely, spare uh, some Louis Vuitton and, and some Gucci and, and, and some new, like, you know, merchandise and that. So <laughs> what they've said, and this is just them, so I'm, I'm not going to take the flag if, if it turns out to just completely be horse, but they've said that they've had this whole philosophy and they kind of did vaguely allude to something like that in their their launch that the car wasn't going to just be one car that they were exploring two completely different fundamental philosophies with the car and ultimately it was always in their plan that their, their L plan as Fernando Alonso said that you know they were going to mark the progress of this philosophy and potentially bring it in, but then to add more flesh to the bone here, of course, it's not a coincidence that certain ex-Red Bull, um, you know, staff have gone to pastures new at Aston Martin. So could it be that any transfer of intellectual property has just danced its way over to the green side, where, where the grass is greener, literally? And, you know, what they're trying to kind of make out is that they've had this whole thing, like, under wraps since August, which, again, what was happening for, for Aston Mine in August last year? Not, not much, really, to be fair. So that's kind of why I find it somewhat a bit plausible. And also, another team which has something similar to this was Haas. They also said that, you know, when they were doing their research and development for these two new, completely 2022 cars... They were also thinking, little Haas, little, you know, like, little league Haas, just, just you know, barely making ends meet with, uh, you know, the Russian 
um, you know, fertilizer, just just about putting enough money in their pocket to feed the mouths. They themselves like were thinking about the very radical no cypod kind of thing. And then they were just like, nah, let's just leave it. We 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 ain't got time for that. Ain't nobody got time for zero <laughs> cypods. So is it plausible at all before you even give us the full thing, Dr. Obs, that there is a genuine kind of thing? And actually, again, being the defense lawyer for, for Aston Martin, they already got quite a heavy slap on the wrist previously for, you know, the, the break dark and listed parts thing that they had the saga with over the uh, the pink Mercedes. And you think, come on, like people like this, you got the likes of uh, Martin Whitmarsh and, you know, all the, the technical guys that have been around and the chief stuff of other teams. Surely they would know better than to copy like another kid's homework, right? Yeah. I, I mean, you know, what what are the chances that, information from one team makes its way to another team um, without, you know, personnel changing hands, I think it's probably slim because they're very uh, protective of their IP, their intellectual, this is their lifeblood, right? But now when you've got personnel that's actually moving from one team to another, how do you prevent that person who's probably got some insight into what you know, Red Bull was doing before, how do you prevent them from, you know, or or how can you even prove it that that person has maybe made some suggestions and to to go a certain direction, right? Um, It happens all the time in business, right? I mean, I work in the energy industry and we're very protective of our IP. And so when somebody leaves my company and goes to another company, you know, there's legal ramifications that if somebody takes one of your designs and immediately copies it, they could be held liable, right? Within a certain number of years after leaving your company. But how do you even prove that? You know, I mean, especially in where you've got brand new regulations like you do and you, you hit it on the head perfectly there, Dens. I mean, you know, Haas was looking at the no side pod. I think even Ferrari had mentioned that they had looked at it as well. Um, the way that you develop these things is you start out with a blank sheet of paper and you literally throw a bunch of concept designs up on the wall. And maybe you've got different elements of one concept design and another, and you start kind of piecemealing it together and you may come up with 10 different concepts and you might run those 10 concepts through computational fluid dynamics to see which one is the best. And that might bring it down to maybe three concepts. And then from those three concepts, you say, look, we've done these enough in the computational space for us to feel pretty confident that they're good, but we need to now build some models and run them in the wind tunnel, right? You could do one, two, three of those, right? Why couldn't you take three different models and put them in the wind tunnel? I I know that we've got the cost cap and all those things that are happening, but Aston Martin could have definitely done that, right? Because they, you know, had quite a bit more wind tunnel time than Red Bull. Whereas I think Red Bull probably had, you know, one or maybe two different designs that they put through the paces and then ended up, you know, getting out at the end, uh, you know, after they go through wind tunnel testing and everything. So having multiple concepts that you test is not unheard of. I mean, in, in, and I'm talking about not just an F1, but just generally in any industry where you're doing innovation, we usually take three, four different concepts into development. That's pretty standard. So could Aston Martin have shown that they had a concept from, you know, November that they were running in the wind tunnel or September, whenever they said 100 percent, 
Absolutely. And if you asked them, they might have also had one that didn't have side pods on it too, right? <laughs> so it's like, I, I don't think there's any issue here. I really don't. I think it's probably a lot of white noise that's going to end up drowning out, especially when, as we saw from the race, it didn't seem to hook the Aston Martin up and now make them all of a sudden top of the grid. Right. Well, I was going to add to that as well, Dr. Ubbs, in terms of just a normal analogy, just like, just because you have the recipe for the meal, it doesn't mean you have the sauce. And yeah. that's the thing, like, you can take all of these different aerodynamical concepts, but even if it was the case, which again, that would surprise me if, like, they saw the Red Bull side pods or the floor, and like, you know what, let's build this in the space of a month. I, I don't think they could do it quickly enough in time. And bear in mind, there's also a little saga, even in the Aston Martin fan base, about well, Stroll getting them and then Sebastian maybe not being able to get them in time. So the mere fact they managed to turn over two and bring those to the track also would, again, I think, like highlight to me that this is something they maybe had cooking up for some time at least. But also, yeah, it's, it's just interesting to see because obviously from, if I put back on my Mercedes hat now, like, like Nicky Lauda, God bless his soul, I don't mind Red Bull getting into a bit of like, you know, tiki-taka with Aston Martin because all of this as well is a distraction from the main thing that people are looking to do, which is move forward. And if it's a thing where I, I don't think Red Bull will really challenge it, to be honest, I just think just for the avoidance of doubt, just in the back of their mind, a 0.0.0.1 recurring chance that some IP managed to dance its way down there. They could maybe tighten up the contracts. But like you mentioned, Dr. Odds, like, it's highly usual for this sort of thing. Like, look, we have a Red Bull driver driving a Mercedes-powered, like, engine, for God's sake. You know, in, in Agent Alban, you know, with his red hair, just minding his business and trying to distract people with his red hair. But I see you, Alban. I see you trying to get the, the AMG sauce, trying to trying to get to the bottom of what's making that that like you know um I think we discussed it on the last episode too with um Bryson with the whole um conventional turbo and the Mercedes have like I forgot the name of it man um split, split turbo. turbo there yeah. we go that's why you're the guy but yeah just <laughs> like you know like they're, they're gonna be bound to have contracts in 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 force there where even albert even though he's the driver of the team the engine actually resides behind his head there's certain technical things which he's probably not gonna have like you know access to you know and rightfully so too because mercedes want to protect their like secrets and williams are not their b team williams are just you know a customer so they don't really need to know more than they need to know if that makes sense yeah i mean i think uh probably what we're seeing is the perfect illustration of something that uh i've said before i know bryson has said it before uh, you know any of the aero guys the tech guys that you talk to we've all said it it is incredibly difficult to copy someone else's car and make it work why because the car from front to back is like a symphony it all just has to fit together. Otherwise, it sounds like garbage, you know? I mean, that's the way an aero design is for these cars. The front wing needs to shape the air that interacts with the side pods that needs to wrap the air through the Coke bottle section to go to the rear downforce generating elements, right? And the beam wing and the rear wing. I mean, it all has to fit together. So it's very difficult for people just to take little bits and kind of slap it on because now that 
bit might not work with the rest of the bits that you, that you have on your car. You know, it's like if you're going to go out on Friday night, you need that fresh kit all the way from your shoes to your hair. You know, if you walk out and you've got fresh shoes on, but a busted shirt on, you're going to look like junk. Right. So it's like that is a Formula One car in a nutshell. You need to have it from front to back. It needs to all fit together. And it wasn't very surprising to me that if you rolled out an updated side pod design, but you didn't change your front wing, like Aston Martin didn't change their front wing, and it's definitely different than the Red Bull front wing, then you're going to have a totally different dynamic of the car itself. It didn't seem to work out for Aston Martin in this case, but that's just the arrow too, right? An arrow is only one piece of the performance of a car. You've got suspension, you, you know, you've got the whole dynamic that the pu the engine it all fits together right so you simply just can't copy someone's car and just kind of find success right away i think maybe previously you know when you had um you know the the pink mercedes right that was a little different because you were working in a very mature regulated design right where you had like five six years of development so you know what works and you've developed it but now if you just put the, all those little extra bits on you know that okay you've got something more competitive but to me it was just perfect illustration that you just can't copy you got to make the thing work from front to back it's so true and for kids listening listening at home as well don't copy your teammates' answers because that's the thing as well. You can end up copying, they get A, and you still get a D, and you still fail, <laughs> still suck. So I just wanted to add that in there as well for the kids because, you know, originality is key too. And obviously, like Christian mentioned, you know, like imitation is the like greatest form of flattery, but at the same time, it's having that, that conceptual understanding of how philosophy works and how what might be good for you might not work for somebody else. So somebody could be wearing some nice size 10 shoes, but if you're a size like five foot, it's not going to work for you, even though it's the same <laughs> shoe. So, you know, there's so many ways you could simplify that. But, you know, just to kind of conclude this episode as well, Dr. Ops, because there's a lot happening, man. I mean, it's we've got the upcoming week of racing and it really is like a week of racing because we've got obviously the prestigious monaco grand prix we've then also got the indy 500 the 106th running shout out as well to ppg and the chip ganassi guys and scott dixon for setting an amazing lap at average speed of 234 miles an hour i don't think That's i could so run that fast. quickly. exactly so i don't think this is what I mean. Like, I don't think I could run as quickly if Georgina gave me free ice cream for the rest of my life, which says a lot. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so that's why I die in there too. And shout out to Raffaello Marcello because we had him as a GT3 driver on here last week. He's taking part in the 24 hours of Nurburgring as like a GT oh, driver. And again, nice. that's crazy, you know, just to drive a car for 24 hours competitively on one of the most technically demanding circuits, 127 corners. It, it's not easy out there That's at all. amazing. So. I mean, could you imagine Dens like us driving one of those cars and after three laps, mate, like our neck and our back, we'd be crippled from the G-forces. Like these guys are driving for 24 hours. That's insane. It's nuts, isn't it? And it's just the con. It's not even just the physical as well. The physical definitely plays into it, but it's the mental because 
you lock up a break here, you, you miss a breaking point there. With the GT guys as well, there's different disciplines. So you've got them in the more high performance, like, you know, FIA kind of spec cars. And then you've got like some touring cars, which don't have as much power, you know, and you have to basically navigate around those and try and find the optimum line of grip without compromising your own race or without going onto the marbles where you can slide off. So it's a huge, like, disrespect to everybody. Like, Indy 500, I think, would scare the living daylights out of me having to drive a car <laughs> at those speeds. And you know that if anything goes wrong, God forbid, that, you know, that could end up very nasty. And then even Well, I mean, ago, Jimmy Johnson touched the wall. Did you see that when he touched the wall? He was yeah, going over 200 at, miles an hour and he saved it. Unbelievable. Exactly. And even to come to, to Kumasaro as well. I mean, shout out to Natsumi because I know she follows him a lot as well. This, you know, the Japanese pride there as well. He like slapped a wall at 230 odd miles an hour and he kept his foot in it. He just kept going. I was like, I love this energy. Like, I don't think I have this like, like, you know, exuberance or bravery to like do that myself, <laughs> you know, and then bringing it back, I guess, to the home staple Formula One, Dr. Robs is monaco which again with these new cars visibility i think is going to be an issue on top of that as well we've seen how cumbersome and a bit clumsy they look at very low speeds as well like what are your observations and predictions for the um the race weekend ahead pertaining to monaco oh it's gonna be it's gonna be really interesting to see how these bigger heavier cars do in monaco right i mean they're going to be like, uh, I want I want to believe that the racing is going to be really good because I think one of the things we've seen, at least with these cars in, in high speeds, like high speed corners and things like that, they're rapid. I mean, they're so fast. They're generating an immense amount of downforce, right, with speed. But now what's going to happen in Monaco? Um, I want to believe it's going to be a good race. I really do. Um, but, you know, the cars are bigger, too and Monaco really hasn't changed in terms of how wide it is. So what's going to happen there? You've also got the reduced visibility in Monaco. You make your money in Monaco when you push the limit, right? When you go right up to the edge. I mean, Charles Leclerc found that out the hard way, right? Oh, and, damn. Uh, and qualifying, poor guy. But um, Not even recently. I think that that guy might have some um, Nicky Lauda judge still lingering around him <laughs> because, you know, he's, he's then gone and crashed, like, a very sentimental, rare, like, classic F1 car. And, like, yeah. I know Ferrari mechanics and, like, the historical mechanics have probably come to his aid and said it's probably a brake failure or loose brake drum or, like, just some kind of maintenance thing that went wrong. You know, just to save Leclerc there, to give him a bit of bail. But yeah, there's no irony there that whenever he's in his home race, just it doesn't seem to click. And if there was ever a time he needed a home race win in a championship contending year, this would be that year. So yeah, I agree with yeah. you, you know, but it's going to be qualifying it. I mean, especially, especially coming out of a DNF from Barcelona. I mean, could you imagine a DNF in Barcelona and then he ends up having some kind of an incident, you know, in, in Monaco and, and DNFing again. I mean, that would be terrible, you know, it would be terrible for Ferrari. I mean, the amount of, you know, points that they would have left on the table in two successive races, right. Where they're strong. But if, if I had to put some predictions out there, I really do think I've got a, uh, you know, I've got a, uh, a friend that, that I talked to, Vincenzo, you know, Lindino, who's a bit oh, on the edge, right? Mr. After, you know, yeah, yeah. He's, he was a bit on the edge after the last race, and I was just reassuring <laughs> him, man. I mean, like, Monaco's going to be their race. I mean, 
the Ferrari's got so much downforce. And so I really think they're going to be strong in Monaco. I think it's going to be a good race for them. They've got tons of traction, more traction than anybody else. So again, I think it's going to be another strength for them in Monaco. They just got to get out of their heads. Charles has got to get out of his head. Carlos is in his head too. I mean, you know, he didn't have the best, best race after all. I mean, especially with as much pace as they had, um, but yeah, I mean, I think the if they can have a strong showing in Monaco, and I think Ferrari's got the right car, if the drivers can put it on, you know, and 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 deliver, then I think they'll have a really strong showing. Um, I was quite surprised in Miami to see how well the RB18, the Red Bull, was doing in that slow. Just what did they call that section of the Miami Grand Prix Mickey, where it was Mickey like, Mouse section? I think Mickey Mouse section, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's like the RB18 was like making time on everybody in the Mickey Mouse section. So, like, part of me is feeling like, okay, maybe you know, they might do good in sort of these Mickey Mouse corners a little bit, these slow speed corners potentially. Um, but I think, man, Mercedes has really taken a step in barcelona um i was looking at some of the telemetry and seeing how much speed they were able to carry through the mid to high speed corners and it was rapid i mean so that tells me that that w13 has got a ton of downforce and so that might end up paying for them in you know in monaco because they may not need to run a super highly cranked rear wing to generate the downforce they may be generating a lot of downforce from their floor and from all their you know the ground effect package that they have so they may be able to gain some speed and and what you know little straights you do have in monaco in the straights there by not having to run as aggressive of a of a rear wing but i think ferrari is going to come with an aggressive rear wing so will red bull and and most everybody else so i think yeah it's going to be about you know, which drivers are able to get that one lap pace down. Um, I don't know if you've seen, Dens, the the predictions for the weather, but apparently it's supposed to rain all week and it's supposed to rain through the weekend. So it could get really spicy. Yeah, it could get really doing a rain dance. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, if it ends up raining, you know, then I guess the, the question we'll have to ask ourselves will be how much of the tire warm-up issues that Mercedes was having before was due to the porpoising and how much is due to something else, right? I think we didn't see it in Barcelona, right? Because the track was baking, so it wasn't a problem. True. But if it if it's raining, right, then these tire warm-up issues could potentially come back. And is it no longer there because the porpoising has gone, which would tell you that the tire warm-up was due to the porpoising issues, or was it something else that's there? And, you know, it's going to be all about putting it in in, in the front during qualifying because, as we all know, Monaco is uh, not a not an easy place to pass. I think last year there was uh, zero. I think I was looking through the stats. There was zero overtakes last year in Monaco, I think. I mean, we had, um, you know, Stroh, just Stroh, when, when a weird animation cutscene came through, like, I think when we had the whole the strategic battle between, uh, I think it was Gasly and Lewis, wanted to know if um, Gasly had pulled off the overcut, and then he rudely cut it to that scene of Stroh just taking the uh, the chicane through the um, the, the kind of uh, marina area, I was like, wait, why are you showing us Stroh? What's Stroh done now? Oh, that's <laughs> then, right, yeah. <laughs> and then obviously as well, poor Mazepin, just like, um, 
So Mazepin, you need Nikita. You need to go to chassis D45, position eight. Man, I don't know which button to press. I don't know which button to press. <laughs> Poor guy just didn't know which button to press because, like, like, and again, the shout out again to some legendary, just like out there footage, like Michael Schumacher's uh, pole lap from I think 2012 when he's like adjusting the brake bias into every bloody corner. <laughs> it's like, wow, you got one spectrum of driver that likes to make like balance changes every corner. And then you just get cavemen like Nikita that just want to just drive a box, you know, <laughs> without crashing it. So, uh, yeah, definitely different views there. But also, um, yeah, I definitely agree with you, Dr. Hobbs. It's such a big weekend. Ferrari need a really big bounce back, or as Vincenzo is uh, going to probably write them a, a very, um, you know, coded uh, mafia letter, which I don't want to be on the receiving side of, of course. You know, and on top the of that Italian as well. mafia. Of course, you know. That's the thing is when you look at Vincenzo, you're like, yeah, this guy, you know, you could definitely be a mafia boss. Yeah, I'm good. I don't want to be on the next episode or next film of the God the um Godfellas or you know the Godfather or any of those Italian spin-offs. I'm all good. <laughs> so yeah, they definitely need a good weekend because uh, again, it would just be roles reversed, and I think you would definitely be, you know. Again, Max with the, the stats, stat, I'm going to call him Stats Max. You know, he, he wins every single race he finishes. You know, if he could manage that statistic up for another race, then that'd be an alarming one. And then, like you mentioned, the W13, my girlfriend, you know, she, she's she's finally doing better. She's, she stopped working for other people. And now <laughs> she only does the porpoising for me behind closed doors. Love to see it. You know, and um, yeah, just she seems to be doing better. But also, there's, there's some outside shouts there too. We know McLaren, they don't really do too well on high-speed circuits. But then on circuits like Barcelona, I say that. I mean, they weren't so competitive, I guess, in the recent race that we just had. But it seems like their car is more suited to low-speed corners. And again, completely different formula. But uh, last year, they were quite competitive as well. So maybe they might take some understandings or learnings. And again, you know, there's the likes of, um, you know, Guan Yu Zhou, Zhou Guan Yu, that's maybe trying to get himself back in the points. He could do so if he has a clean race. Mick, urgently, I can't stress enough. This guy needs to score some points, man. He needs some oh, points too. that was brutal in the race. I mean, he was in the points and like, and then he just started going backwards, and I was like, "Oh, Mick, Mick!" It was a, uh, I was pulling for Haas. I mean, uh, I, you know, they had a really strong qualifying, and I was, I predicted they would both be in the points, and I really kind of, I, I didn't, I yeah, didn't hit on that one. Kind of went left, <laughs> kind of went left, man. But no, I, I, but I, I did man. predict. I did predict one Merc on the podium at the start of the race. You can go back through my tweets. You can see it. I predicted it. So I, I nailed that one. Hey, you got that one, man. And it was it was solid because, you know, I mean, perhaps maybe without the um the Leclerc DNF, Russell maybe have just been fourth. But again, you've got to be in it to win it. And Russell did the perfect race he could have done. So, you know, he deserved that podium. But also, yeah, just um, it's been crazy. And again, you know, not so much on Grosjean. I said Grosjean. He's doing IndyCar this week. But not so much on Magnussen's side. But again, I just thought it was impressive that, you know, Haas have managed to find more performance of that car without any upgrade so just as much as it is about bringing new flashy floors and you know completely new aero packages and stuff like that if it's not broke don't fix it and it seems yeah. to be the philosophy gunter's going with because he didn't bring in any upgrades and when they questioned him about it he just said well you know there's a lot of time in this this car and we don't feel that we fully 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 mastered um you know getting the setup perfect on this car which i think is cool because 
if many fans remember the, the rich energy days of Haas, when they had all the money in the world, but no kind of direction as to what to spend it on, you almost had, you know, Grosjean with a completely A-spec car from Spain testing. And you had, um, you had, uh, what do you call it? You had, I think, uh, you had the Danish Viking almost. How do I forget his name? <laughs> you had Magnussen with a completely new spectacle car with all the blingy parts. And Grosjean was going quicker in the A-spec car that had no upgrades. So it's interesting to see even in this day and age how Gunther's maybe being a bit more, let's say, conservative with bringing any upgrades until they fully understand the technical sides of this uh, this new house. And, you know, all power to them for that because I think it will help them go down a greater scope of development in the future compared to maybe Aston Martin have just decided to splurge on two packages without really being a master of the two. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's, it's a, a marathon this year when it comes to development. Um, I think Mercedes took the right path by saying, look, we need to understand what's going on first. And then they started kind of rolling out the updates in bits and pieces, right? You got a little bit here, a little bit there. And then finally they hit that sweet spot and it kind of switched off the porpoising, right? Um, but I think other teams, you know, haven't been as fortunate, right? I mean, you've seen McLaren and some of the updates that they rolled out. McLaren did look better. I mean, props to Lando. I mean, the dude had tonsillitis during the race. That's insane. Ooh. And he, what way he ended up P8, right? Yeah, I think he's still finishing P8. the planes. And he beat yeah. like uh, um, Ricardo on, on pure pace as well, from what I can yeah. remember. Yeah, and and McLaren rolled out quite a lot of updates, and they, you know, they got some. I, I would say they got some pace advantage um, up from what they had previously, but it wasn't the kind of leap that the W13 made, right? And so, I mean, you, you got to give all all the credit really to the Mercedes team at Brackley there, the Mercedes engineers. I mean, you always knew they were going to come with something, and it was just going to be epic in the end because they're just too good to not do that i mean they've got that championship pedigree so you knew it was coming um but i i would say that is definitely not usual <laughs> so every other team is not a mercedes amg f1 team right so they're not going to be <laughs> taking those kinds of leaps so everybody else like haas they've got to kind of bide their time and really take it step by step that's so true you know and that's the thing that i think is beautiful with this new formula like there's no wrong or right answer and there's lots of things which are like unexplained or we're still kind of I guess learning as we go on and it's just pegged everyone back at square one so you know there's no more of this OP car tax that we usually brand about you know we're having banter and stuff everyone's just trying to kind of build their car from the ground up and even when you look at teams like Alpine for example you know one week Fernando Alonso looked like a world beater and it genuinely looked like he wasn't he wasn't too far from his glory days but for some hydraulic issues but then you know, there are times where the car just doesn't seem in the, the right window. But, you know, Alpine on to be laughed at. They're quite a huge outfit and have quite some pedigree too. So, yeah, it's just interesting just to see the approaches from different teams. And even Alpha, they're just minding their business, drinking the coffee, as Valtteri Bottas would say, and just doing what they need to do. So, yeah, it's amazing. But um, on that note, Georgina and Dr. Obbs, I'm going to leave it to you guys to round up the show. Any final words, notes? Anything at all for the stripping the dipping nation? Okay, first of all, these boys and their cars and boys 
by boys i meant you and dr hobbs <laughs> <laughs> um and when it comes to copy and original well it can be the other way as well because once a girl next to me uh copied my paper and she ended up with an a plus and i ended up with a b so <laughs> Ooh, georgina you need to go and stick it on that teacher the teacher is biased until today even today i just wonder how the hell that is even possible man she yeah. just literally wrote my paper and i got a b and she got an a <laughs> must have been michael massey Oh, <laughs> uh, too soon still. Too soon. Yeah, I know, right? Too soon. Too soon. <laughs> and when it comes to Intikas, oh my gosh, Denzel is super excited, and he keeps on calling Magnus and Grosjean. <laughs> I mean, they look. They kind of look similar in the light. I can't lie. <laughs> and uh, for Monaco, well, honey, it's about Charles, and then it's uh, it's going to be all gamblings and the gamblers. This time, it'll be on. Uh, the bet will be on how long will he last in Monaco, not who's going to win. <laughs> well, Georgina, funny you should mention that. I don't know. Again, just a bit of like, I guess, behind the scenes trivia we can add to the end of this episode. <laughs> Did you guys hear about Drake, the rapper, and the bet that he made? Oh my God! You know what? Uh, he jinxed it, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, he's the one that's cursed Leclerc. It's him. <laughs> Get him. It's the Drake curse. Yeah, for sure. Oh man. Red Bull should Drake, be paying him. <laughs> the Drake curse is alive and well in the NBA. It's real isn't though, it? isn't it? It's like Hobbs, a for cause... real thing, yeah. Yeah, because doesn't he like pose with like, you know, the basketball teams and that, that team that would be like the most OP team, like the Lakers or the Brooklyn Nets or whoever the team of the day is, they'll just go under as soon as Drake takes a picture with their like t-shirt jersey. And the same thing happened to Leclerc. I think it's $300,000 that he bet on Leclerc winning the race or getting pole. And yeah, just didn't get the race win. So, um, you know... As uh, and great words, I thought that was a actually a joke, a prank or something, and then it, it turned out to be real. And I was like, okay, this guy is really shitty. This is the thing, you know. People have too much money, man. They they need to give some money to us. Stripping the dip for in. real, for real. Exactly. Let's get this. Let's get this podcast on Sky TV, man, and then we can uh, we'll take it to the next level with a little bit of that Drake money. Of course, man, and then we don't have to deal with pool the 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 resto. Or pull, pull, pull the sleeper, <laughs> or wherever he's called, and um, Damon Hill trying to come up with a funny name for him, but can't. Damon, Damon Bill, and uh, Martin <laughs> not on the grid walk because he absolutely did Martin ten toes Bumble. on the road as well. <laughs> I think the only man quicker than Scott Dixon this week was Martin Brundle running away from the the, the, the grid walk. That guy did not want to be involved this week. No way, no way. He had enough. Last week was brutal. I think he still get flashbacks and nightmares because of that. (laughs) You know what, though? It's just that's interesting, though, because he came out afterwards and he said he didn't like it. And I was like, dude, you've been doing it for 20 years. Imagine being in an unhappy relationship or marriage for 20 years. And then (laughs) this was the camel, or this was the straw that broke the camel's back. Like, it's crazy. Hey, if the money's right, you can do anything. True. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Denzel, his predictions, and then Denzel can, you know, <laughs> bid bye for us and call up episode. So, what? Yeah, what are your predictions, Denzel? Well, I'm gonna do a clean sweep on all of the major sporting events I know about this week. So, Formula One, I'm going with a a goat 
first place. I'm going with the GOAT, Lewis Hamilton in first place. He's going to try and break our um, Max Verstappen's record. You know Lewis Hamilton's the record breaker, so hopefully he beats, beats uh, Max's record of uh, winning every race he completes. That would be nice, you know. <laughs> and like I said, I mentioned my girlfriend, you know, one of many, wink, wink, had <laughs> a W13s on its best behavior now. So glad to see it, of course. So yeah, hey, I'm gonna I say... thought your girlfriend was W11. Hey, hey, Georgina, man, you're not supposed to expose me, man. Don't he's say cheating, that. He's cheating. Don't tell her that, man. She, 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 she she's fragile. She, she didn't get to race at Suzuka and all the other great circuits. She so, <laughs> you know, she, so she's just in the garage, just chilling. Although, funnily enough, I've got a bit of a social experiment running with uh, maybe an Indy 500 circuit, maybe in a simulator, maybe with 40 W12s. But you man, see that. your relationship with 13 and 11, this is going to turn out uh, into an Amber Heard, Johnny Depp course game. Oh, Could you imagine? <laughs> and Toto's the judge. <laughs> oh gosh. But yeah, to get to the predictions, yeah, I think I don't know. I've got a good a feel-good situation for Lewis. Hopefully they can get to the bottom of the porpoising on slow speed circuits, but also in the rain, as Dr. Obbs mentioned as well. That's really unspoken about point and could resurface itself because there's no amount of um, you know, promotional testing they could do with the TV days that they could really do with the rain. So That'd be interesting to see. So I'm going to say Lewis first. I'm going to say Science second. And then I'm going to say Max. No, actually Max second, Science third. I think Charles is going to do a Charles. And I think uh, Nikki's still rolling up there in heaven saying, why did you crash my car, Charles? You know, so <laughs> yeah, there's that. For IndyCar, I'm going to say... Pato Award with uh, with his maiden Indy 500 win, although it will probably be someone boring like like Castro Neves or Scott Dixon or any of the other veterans on the grid. It could even be like, um, oh, Molly will kill me. Molly will kill me. And, um, oh, no, I can't forget his name. I can't. Uh, Carlton Herter. Again, he seems to be in a bit of form. But then you have Jimmy Johnson, which is like a, a multiple NASCAR champion and you think you had one job jimmy you had one job to drive in an oval this is your gig man <laughs> you gotta win this as well so i'm gonna say maybe jimmy johnson for a sneaky uh podium there as well if it's not my boy pato award or um you know colton and then uh yeah for um the nurburgring man i gotta support my boy raffaello marcello and i'm not gonna sing the song because as you heard, there's a, oh, Dr. Obbs is a beautiful Prince <laughs> rendition about 13 minutes into this podcast as well. So I know you enjoy that too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be an awesome weekend. I think for Monaco, for me, I'm going to go with, I think Charles is due. I think he's going he's gonna to get the win. It's going to be... Uh, uh, it's gonna be tears of joy. It's gonna be a, a celebration for for old Charles. So he's gonna be do the win in Monaco finally. Uh, I'm saying Charles number one, and then I've got Max or Lewis two or three. I haven't quite decided who's two or who's three. But just since I'm on uh, with AMG Dens and uh, Georgina, I'm gonna go with uh, uh, Lewis number two and Max number three. Yay! Vincenzo is still going to pull up to your house, though. <laughs> but I got Charles number one, so he should be. Oh all right. yeah, you, you did know, say Charles first. He can, okay. well, he can leave the he can leave the bills in the mailbox. We'll be good. Okay, well then you got Doctor Helmet Mark on your door, and I know he probably scares me more than Vincenzo and his yeah, army. For so, yeah. <laughs> 
All right. Yeah, that's going to wrap up our episode. And I will let Denzel do the last bit because actually, this is his show, not mine. I'm Man, just it's not get, my show, too. Disappearing. As I always say, you know, I'm just a normal guy from North London. But yeah, you keep saying that, Indy man. I'm going to punch driver, your face one day for that. And <laughs> if I was an IndyCar driver, it's the Pato Award. They would call me Blacko Award. And on that bombshell, <laughs> guys, thank you for tuning in to this episode of Stripping the Dipping, Spin your usual co-host, AMG Dens with the sauce. And an awesome episode with Dr. Arms. We're definitely gonna get him back again very soon in the imminent future. And also we gotta we gotta bully um we're gonna bully Georgina more. <laughs> again, like she's held this mystery of what the, the, the name is behind stripping the dipping and i didn't get to ask her this episode either but i know we've got molly on for an indycar episode very soon so uh yeah we can maybe turn the taps on georgina a bit as well as to where she gets the inspiration and the secrets for such um you know commercial plays as such but as always, guys, thank you for tuning in. As always, if you got to the end, please make sure you leave some feedback. Make sure you like and you retweet and you send us some love on a young YouTube channel. I think we're at a young 14 subscribers and that. Still more points than Schumacher, though. Oh, I went there. <laughs> but uh, yeah, just, I love the support that you guys are giving us. And obviously, we've got amazing guests coming on and it's a on, it's honestly just a, a blessing to have people like Dr. Obbs and just the rest of amazing guests with so much knowledge and this time as well. It's time that, you know, I think is, is of the essence these days with everything happening in the world. So huge shout out to everybody for tuning in. And until next time, guys, be safe, be prosperous. Don't crash like Charles Leclerc. And until next time, peace.